Well, good morning again. I hope you're still doing well after I talked to you like five minutes ago. But, so last week, Pastor Sean introduced our, our Lenten series. It's titled Renewed Desire, right? And our series verse that he introduced was Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. It says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? Now, am I the only one that every time I read this verse or hear that verse, I hear that song in my head, as the deer pants for it. You know what I'm talking about? That song has been on loop like for the last week since Pastor Sean introduced this. But the idea here is that you know, deer, they long for streams of water. Pastor Sean talked about how um, hunters will often, this is kind of morbid, but will often set their uh, tree stands up like next to a stream because inevitably Bambi's going to come by and they can pick them off, right? So like, I know that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> but that's, the, the idea is that they long for streams of water and in the same way that that's a life source for, for deer, it's, our life source should be God, right? And we should yearn after and long after God in the same way that deer long after and seek out water from a stream. But as I'm kind of going through this and hearing that song in the back of my head, the question that I've come up with is like, what is desire? You know, I can, I can go to the dictionary and look up the definition, but what does desire truly mean to me? And I was curious to know from you guys, if I say the word desire, are there any words that kind of pop out that, that mean something to you in, in regards to this word of desire? You can just shout them out. Wants, okay. Anybody else? A longing for, okay. Well, this is perfect, actually, because it speaks to my point of, like, it's kind of hard to define, isn't it? Is it just a want? Is it more than that? Is it a need? Is it, does it go that far that you actually need to have it? And I'm kind of thinking about these things, but what I came up with is that you might not be able to put your finger on it and, and say, yes, that's my definition for desire, but you can definitely, you know it when you see it. Right? We're just coming out of the Olympics. We saw all these really cool stories, men's curling, right? Gold medal, awesome. So we won the curling gold medal for the first time in Olympic history. Um, there were some other like, really cool moments. We won the um, cross-country skiing gold medal for the first time. The, the, the U.S. female athlete, she took the lead with like 50 yards to go and like, collapsed afterwards. She was so tired, but we won the gold medal there. Uh, the women's hockey team, apparently all of our women are awesome. Um, the women's hockey team finally beat Canada for the first time since 1998 to win the gold medal. All these things, like it illustrates these people had a ton of desire when it came to the Olympic Games. I've been fortunate enough to see desire like firsthand in coach, helping coach my son's wrestling team, right? It is amazing to see like five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds go after it, right? Have a desire, a burning desire to win and pin their, the kid they're wrestling, right? And then the payoff is when they get that trophy that's taller than them. Then <laughs> They get that trophy and they can take a picture with it. It's so cool. And what I love about wrestling and the Olympics and just sports in general is that every time you see an athlete step out onto the mat or the field or whatever it is, every time you see them, you know that they've made the conscious, to the conscious choice to make their decisions match their desires. They've made their decisions match their desire. And what I mean by that is that, you know, somebody doesn't just show up at the Olympics, right? You don't just, oh, I think I'll go to the Winter Olympics today. Let me buy my flight to wherever it is this year. Like, they, they, it takes years of training, like years before it's even time to go to the Olympics. They've made the choice, I'm going to eat right, I'm going to train hard, and I'm going to do the things that I need to do. I'm going to make the decisions now that when it's time for me to be confronted with the ability to fulfill that desire, I'm going to be ready right? The, the kids that I coach, 
They are working hard in the mat room two, three times a week, drilling, drilling in their moves. They wrestle live. I mean, if you've never seen two five-year-olds going at it on a wrestling mat, it is awesome. But their decisions that they make to sacrifice their time and go to the wrestling mat on a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, pay off on that Saturday or Sunday tournament is really cool to see. And this isn't just specific to sports, right? We are confronted with these opportunities in our own lives, opportunities where our desire intercedes with a decision that we've had to make, right? If you've ever wanted a promotion at work or there was a job or something that you really sought after, you know that there was some planning that went into that, right? So that when it came time for that job to post, you were like, yes, this is it. I'm ready. I can go through the interview process. I can make the decision to allow my desire to be fulfilled. Or maybe it's a trip that I wanted to go on. How many travelers do I got? In here. We got one really emphatic one right there. We love to go traveling. And what oftentimes happens is my experience is like, you're like, yeah, I really want to go on the trip. And then it's time to write the check. And it's like, man, I got a little too much sticker shock shock to go on this trip. But the point is, you you have to make the decision. You're going to make your decisions as far as your spending and your budgeting to be able to go on that trip. So that when it comes time to allow that desire to be fulfilled, you can write the check without having a heart attack, right? Or maybe it's something you need for God to do in your life. You know, something you've been waiting on for him to do, something you've desired from him, and you have to make the choice, the decision, to put it in his hands and say, God, I trust you. Let's do this. And that's where we're going to be today. How do we make that decision? How do we get there? How do we go from merely wanting something to want, and wanting a deeper, more uh, dependent relationship with God, just wanting it, to making the decision to actually have it. Make the decisions that I'm going to commit to doing this and doing the things so that my relationship with Christ can get deeper and more meaningful. This morning we're going to look at, we're going to be in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles and want to flip there, we're going to be Mark 10, starting in verse 46. And we're going to read a story about a name, name, man named, if I could talk, man named Bartimaeus. And this is going to challenge us to this bigger deeper thing that we've been talking about, this desire for a meaningful walk with Christ. We're going to be, it's Mark 20, uh, starting in Mark 10, 46 through 48. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting up by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So it's a really cool picture, a perfect picture of someone who has the desire, right? He has the desire, what that is, he wants something so badly uh, that he doesn't care what anyone else says, right? The people around him are trying to shut him down, but he shouts all the louder. And even if this is the first time you've ever heard this story of the blind beggar, you can probably figure out what his desire might be, like what would it be? Shout it out. Say, he wants to be able to see, right? That's, that's what you would think from reading this. And even the man's name, it points to a desire of sorts. His name's uh, Bartimaeus. The text points out that that means son of Timaeus. And Timaeus, if you go back to the original language, one translation of it is unclean. So this Bartimaeus guy is literally son of the unclean, right? How, the, how would you love to learn that for the first time, that that's what your, son, that your name means? And he's a blind beggar, right? He's pretty far down on the social ladder as the son of the unclean. And at best, when people look at him, they see him as a nuisance, right? Oh, there's, there's Bartimaeus again. Just have to deal with him. Welcome by. 
And at worst, he's an unclean outcast that nobody has the desire to be around, right? He's the person that as they're walking down the street with their kids, they go to the other side because they don't want to deal with this unclean person. And then pile on top of that the fact that he has a disability, right? He can't see. And in this time, in history, if you had a disability like blindness, it was viewed that you had sinned in some way, and that was the cause of your disability. So they're looking at this guy as this sinful, unclean, pathetic person that's now, now at this point, that, that he's, he's, they're calling out to their Messiah, like, what right does he have? And all this leads Bartimaeus to his desire, so much so that when Jesus comes around, he is shouting at him. Right? He's shouting at him, son of mercy, have mercy, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's told basically to shut up. Like Bartimaeus, you don't deserve mercy. That's our view of you. You don't deserve mercy. You're in a place of, of you're, you're pitiful, you're pathetic, you're blind, you've sinned, unclean, all that. You don't deserve to talk to our Messiah. But Bartimaeus doesn't care. Right? He's going to keep on shouting, son of David, have mercy on me. And the interesting thing about Bartimaeus is that he's in a place of like, I don't know that he fully understands what his desire is. He doesn't fully understand like all the surrounding things to go into why he feels the need to call out for mercy. He just feels that he wants somebody to fix it and feels like God can. Right? Now, I've been confronted with this a little bit, and most of you have as well. How many of you guys were affected by the stomach bug that's been plaguing central Pennsylvania for the last like two months? We got it. Karina had it. I had it. Derek had it. Thank goodness Tyler didn't get it. Um, but this one night, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and Derek woke up and came over to our bathroom, and he's, he's you know, throwing up. And we walked in there, and it was the first time, like, in my recollection, this is kind of gross, isn't it, for a Sunday morning. But <laughs> he's, it's the first time, like, for my, and as, as I was saying this, I see faces, like, ugh. <laughs> but so we're in there with him. And this is, like, the first time I can remember Derek being sick to the point of really, like, uncontrollable throw up, even grosser. But... At one point in time, like, he looks up at me, and he's like, he goes, he literally says to me with the saddest eyes, Dad, what's happening to me? <laughs> like, he's literally in a place of, like, he has no understanding of what is going on at all. Like, he might as well have just looked up to the heavens and said, God, have mercy on me. Like, he was in that place. He didn't know what was going on inside of him that was making him feel this way, but he wanted it to stop. He wanted some relief. And that's kind of where Bartimaeus is. Like, all this bad stuff has happened to him, right? He's had a lot of pain. He's had a lot of ridicule. He's been judged harshly. And he said, he's basically saying, God, I don't know why all this is happening. I don't even know the ramifications of all of this. But I just want it to stop. I want it to, 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 to I want relief. Have mercy on, my, on me. And many of us can find ourselves in that exact same spot for different circumstances, obviously, but that exact same spot of just saying, God, I don't really know what I want. I don't really know what's going on in my life that's making me feel this way, but please help me. Just make it better. Make me feel better. I just want some relief. And we look to God for that relief. We look to him to provide it, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with calling out to God in those moments where we struggle. Because God, he truly does he does care about us, and he wants to hear those honest cries for us. But I believe, and what this story illustrates, is that God wants us to take some sort of ownership of our desires. He wants us to choose to, to have our desires fulfilled, right? And that happens through our actions, through the decisions that we make. So after Bartimaeus continues 
to cry out for mercy, Jesus hears him, and he responds to him. And we'll pick it up in verse 49. It says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling for you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. So I'm reading this, and I'm thinking in my head a couple of things, right? One, why does Jesus have the disciples call him? Why does he have the disciples say, like, get over here? Because it seems to me that the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, right, that can see, (laughs) could just walk over to Bartimaeus and say, like, what do you need? Like, why does he make Bartimaeus get up, throw his cloak off, and come over here? Beyond that, it's not like the interaction with the disciples and between the disciples and the beggar is, like, the nicest one. The words that they use are, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. But if you translate that into, like, today's language, He's basically telling him, quit whining, stop acting helpless, and get over here. Jesus is calling you. It kind of has like a move it or lose it kind of feel to it. And the reason that I think that Jesus had Bartimaeus go through all that and wanted that interaction to happen is because Jesus wanted him to stop pitying himself, right? He wanted him to get out of the little bit of a funk that he was in and take a step towards him. The disciples did speak harshly to him. And the way that they spoke to him probably made him think of some of the injustices that he had had to live out throughout his life. But these words, as harsh and as kind of unkind as they were, they may have been exactly what Bartimaeus needed to hear to kind of snap out of it, to see that that desire that he had, that he had buried so deep, to understand that it could be renewed. And all he had to do was choose to take that step towards Jesus and allow that desire to be fulfilled. If you look at Bartimaeus' request, have mercy on me. All in all, it doesn't really seem like a bad thing, or really, but when you look at it and see it from Bartimaeus' point of view, he's kind of someone who had given up on his desire. Right? He'd given up and said, like, this isn't going to happen. You know, his posture even points to the fact that he, was, he had given up and didn't see himself as any value. Sitting on the side of the road, he's a beggar. He's believing that he was not worthy to walk among the other people. So he sat lower than them and begged. I believe that the reason Jesus had him go through all this is because he wanted, him to, he wanted to show him something. He wanted to show him that he was, look, Bartimaeus, the posture that you're sitting with, the attitude of helplessness that you have, it's not what I intended for you. You know, you are my child. You need to own that. You have just as much access to me as everyone else does. You need to choose to receive that and own it. But we all get to a place where we can relate to Bartimaeus at some point in time, right? It's how we feel when we get to those places of feeling like our deepest desires are never, ever going to be realized, right? Whether it's a calling that you felt that God had on your life, maybe it's a sin that you've dealt with for years and have just been begging God to take from you. Whatever it is, you've gotten to a place of helplessness. Maybe you're there now. Like, God, you said this was going to happen. It just isn't happening. So, God, can you at least comfort me? (laughs) Can you at least... Just give me some hope. Give me some some mercy as I try to get through this on my own. Can you have mercy on me? And I think that 
as we get to this place in our walk with Christ, we often need someone to speak those harsh words to us, right? The get up, the stop whining, the stop having a pity party for yourself. Speak those words to us to get us back on track. Sometimes those words, they do. They come directly from God. And as I read this, this passage over the past couple of weeks and I have kind of been studying it, I felt the disciples really kind of speaking to me. You know, the past six months have been uh, a bit of a whirlwind for me and my family. Believe it or not, Tyler turned, he's six months now, officially this week. He's been uh, with us for six months, which is awesome. I love him. He's, he's, he's great. But everything that a baby does to a family as far as transitions and having a sick, crazy six-year-old little person to, <laughs> to deal with as well, um, it, it kind of makes for, for, for some, some stress and, and different things that go on. Uh, Derek literally started school the day before Tyler was born, <laughs> right? So that, that, that whole thing, and um, he started, Derek started wrestling in October. December and January are busy times for me at work. Karina's in musical season, like she, her show goes up next weekend at East Penn. Uh, so there's a lot of, lot of things that go into that. And so needless to say, it's, it's been a busy time for us and our family. And I, oftentimes when I get busy, I don't necessarily handle it in the, the healthiest of ways when it starts to overwhelm me. I, I kind of take the posture of, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna barrel through this. I'm gonna get through it on my own. I don't need help. I don't need God to speak into me at all during this time. I just need to get through it. And then once I'm through it, then I'll come back and I'll, I'll say, God, okay, let's get back on track. And that's what kind of the, the, the cycle that I've been going through for the past six months or so of just trying to get to a place where I might have a bit of a break to be able to kind of get back on track with God. Right? I've kind of just been going through the motions maybe a little bit. I kept telling myself and telling God, you know, once I get that little bit of rest, Lord, then I'll start. We'll dig in. We'll get this going again. I was saying, God, give me a little bit of mercy in this season right now. This is my season of busyness. Give me a little bit of, of mercy, and I'll get the wheels going again. I promise I'll get back on track. And I've been praying, like, God, help me. I don't necessarily know what I need you to do. I don't know what I need from you. I just want it to feel better. I want the stress to go away. I want that. Can you help me? Can you have a little bit of mercy on me? But in doing that, I got to a place of allowing my busyness and my kind of hectic lifestyle to replace kind of basically my relationship with God. I was allowing that kind of stuff to consume me and affect my relationship with God in a bad way. And, and when the negative impact of that decision began to show in the form of, you know, stress and, and, and just not, not spending time with God and all that stuff, it kind of snowballed on me. Snowballed on me, and I got to a place this week and reading this passage, and the disciples saying, you know, get up. God's calling you. And I had to come to a place and be honest with myself and be honest with, my God, with God and say, you know what, they're talking right to me. Get up, do something about this. Work with God to make this better. Don't just ask him for mercy. Do something. And the disciples were, as they cut to my, to my core, and God did. He prompted me, get up, quit whining, take ownership of this desire that you have to have a meaningful relationship with me. Take ownership of that and do something about it, right? Take a step toward me. And the next question that, that God had for me was the hardest one. It was the one that, that Jesus asked Bartimaeus next. He says, what is it that you want me to do for you? 
what is it that you want me to do for you? And if you, you look at the story with Bartimaeus, you're looking at Jesus who, who knows everything, right? And he's standing face to face with a blind man and he's asking him, what do you want me to do? The, obvi- the answer is obvious. He wants to be able to see. He wants to be able to see, but what Jesus wants, he wants Bartimaeus to say it. Right? Until he says it, says what his desire is, that desire remains buried deep down. He wants Bartimaeus to get to a place where that desire is renewed and he can make the choice to say, Jesus, this is what I want. Help me with it. This is specifically what I need you to do, God, and I want to take this step of faith with you. Because Bartimaeus had gotten to such a low place that he couldn't even face his desire. Right, let alone claim it as his own. He had lived his whole life carrying this desire, wanting it, desiring it, and so much so that he had so much disappointment in his life over this that he had gotten to a place of giving up. Giving up. And when he finally comes into contact with God, the one person that can actually help him fulfill his desire, all he can say is, have mercy on me. God, keep me afloat. And I read that and I'm thinking, is that our God? Does he just have mercy on us? Does he just keep us afloat? And the answer is no, right? Our God's a healer. Our God's a redeemer. Our God is telling Bartimaeus to get up, you're face to face with your creator, claim your desire and tell me what it is that you want me to do for you. Rabbi. I want to see. What an amazing interaction. Tell me what it is that you want me to do for you. Rabbi, I want to see. For me, the answer is everything that that Pastor Sean challenged us to last week in introducing this series, right? When he challenged us, renew your commitment to God. And when I felt Jesus asking me the question, what do I want you to do? And I read Bartimaeus' response, I want to see. I had to answer as honestly as I possibly could. God, renew my desire. It's buried deep down. I want to walk with you. I want a relationship with you. I want all that, God. I want to live for you, but that's been buried for a little while. You're calling out of me, God, and and I claim it. Say, God, help me take ownership of walking with you more closely. I don't want to get by anymore. I don't want to be kept afloat. I want you, God, to reignite my passion for you. Give me the want to want to live for you. And Jesus' response to Bartimaeus and to me is go. Just go. Essentially, get out of here. Go do it. Stop choosing to live in these circumstances, allowing them to define you. Bartimaeus, I'm going to heal you, but you can't keep living like this. You can't keep playing this victim. You're my child. Sean, you can't live like your relationship with me is something that that you're just going to get around to at some point. It's, It's how you should live. 
take ownership, stand up, walk with me, and claim your rightful identity in me. Verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We, we oftentimes, we will focus on that he received his sight. That's awesome, that miracle that he did. But, and he followed Jesus along the road. So he didn't just get his sight and go on his way. He said, you know what? You've given me sight, which is awesome. I've taken this step towards you. Now I'm going to follow you. And Bartimaeus must have left that interaction with Jesus on such a high. Right? Not just because he could see for the first time, but because now he had this, he's established this relationship with his creator. He's walking with him. Right? He took his Savior's challenge to own his walk with God, and now he's living it out. He's playing it out with God. And this is kind of where I'm at right now. Right? God's, he's opened my eyes a little bit to the way that I've been, I've been living my life for the past six months of just kind of being too busy for God. And I've taken a step, I've owned that, right? It's, I've, I've uncovered that desire, and I'm saying, God, like, I'm walking this with you. I'm going to need your help. And this is the place that I challenge you to explore with God in this Lenten season. What's the desire that you have buried, that you've been waiting to get around to, that you've been covering up by asking God to just have mercy on you, keep you afloat? What's the thing that today, for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, You're feeling God telling you, using those harsh words, get up, stop whining, own it, take a step towards me, and let's do this. I challenge each and every one of you to answer this question, what is it that you want God to do for you? And if you have that conversation with God, I guarantee that your desire will be renewed. That thing that you've buried deep down inside that you haven't claimed in a while will be renewed. And he'll give you that opportunity to say, yes, God, this is my desire. Let me walk with you in it. And the fact that you take ownership of your deepest desire, it's going to lead you to a deeper, more meaningful walk with Christ. So the message today is that you have to be willing to put yourself out there for God. Desire is great. Desire is awesome. It gets us up and going. But desire is dead, and without our willingness to choose to forge ahead and discover what radical dependence on God looks like in our lives, it's kind of empty. It's a dead end. Now, I know some of you out here are going a little bit crazy because we haven't filled in any blanks yet this morning. We're about to do that, so get your pens out, your outlines. Um, So we're going to answer the question, what do we need to know for your own lives based on this passage today? It's that... One, we can discover a new dependence on God when we understand that desire only points the way. Desire only points the way. It's a dead end without the choice, right? And then the second point is we must make the choice to claim our desire. We must make the choice to act on our desire. Everybody feel better now? Fill in your blanks. All right. So this story about Bartimaeus is a cool one. So I guess the, the question now is, is now what? Right? What do we do with that? What does, what does this story change for you? This story that has everything to do about having a desire and choosing to own it and take a step towards Christ, what does that do for you? What does it call out of you? And the moment here, the, the worship team's going to play, 
And during that song, I just want, I want, you to give, I want to give you some time to process a couple of questions from your program guide. They're listed in there. And I want you to think about them and maybe write your answers on a response card. First question is, what is it that you want Jesus to do for you? What is your desire? What is it that you want Jesus to do for you? Second question is, what is one choice you could make this week to act on this desire? What's the one choice you could make this week to act on your desire? Kind of deep questions, I know. We'll have some time as the worship band's playing, and you can even take these home with you. I would just encourage you, like, have that conversation with God. It's kind of make, do the thing that we've been talking about. Make your life with Christ deeper, more meaningful. It's going to uncover that desire that's been buried so deep inside of you. It's going to uncover it and give you the opportunity to say, yes, that's mine. I am a, I'm, I'm defined by Christ, and he's going to help me with that desire. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for creating us with desires. Desires to follow you, desires to serve you, desires to do the things that you have called us to, Lord. Those desires come with, come with, with, with a need for us to act on them to make a decision, a choice, to allow our decisions to line up with that desire. Some of us here this morning, we're in a place of we've kind of buried those desires. We've, we've been hurt. We've kind of been, been shut out by, in, in one way or another, and we're just feeling, we've come to a place where we don't know how to pray. We just, we just want you to make it better, God. We're in a place of a bit of helplessness, Lord. And so we're just saying, God, Keep us afloat. So, Lord, I just ask that you would call us this morning in the same way that you had the disciples call out to Bartimaeus. Get up. Get up. Own this. Walk with me. Follow me. We're going to get you there. I've seen that play out in my life over and over again. And, Lord, I, this morning I claim my desire to walk with you. Pray right now, Lord, your Holy Spirit is moving and speaking and helping people to claim their desires, the ones that they've buried, the ones that they haven't thought about, or the ones that they're just, they've lost hope in. Give us hope, Lord. Help us to own our desires. In Jesus' name, amen.